Um, so I want to get back into the word today. We're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. This is uh, uh, the second message, the second part of uh, pursuing your best life. And it has the, in it the verse, the verse uh, five that we're going to get to in just a minute, that is the reason that I wanted to jump into Jeremiah in the first place. Um, if you have the version app, I'm going to encourage you, the, the, uh, all of the notes for today's message are in the version app. So open up the app on your phone if you have it. There are some paper notes around you, and you're, you're welcome to use those. Um, but open up the version app, and there's a little uh, section down at the bottom right that says more with some three bars. Click on that, and then click on events, and Lighthouse will be the top one um, there that you can look at. And uh, the notes will also be on the screen, but uh, I have a lot of other things to say that can't go on the screen, so they're in the, in, in the app. Jeremiah chapter 12. Uh, let me give you a, a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a background uh, and see if it resonates with you. Have you seen corruption in the world? Have you seen or noticed when things don't work out the way you think they ought to work out? Have you noticed that just because you walk in righteousness that that's not always you get back from the world? That when people, even people who say they're, they're walking in integrity, walk in less than integrity? Well, then you're probably feeling like Jeremiah was feeling. And Jeremiah, who thought that things were tough, and he griped about it. How many of you, this, this will talk about the faithfulness of God. You can look back when things were a lot easier and realize that you complained about it. And then you find out, and you look, and you're like, what was I complaining about? I had no clue. My, my dad reminded me some time ago uh, about uh, uh, the time when I was at Valley Forge and I was working on my bachelor's degree. And I don't even remember this conversation, but I was griping. I was griping because I was 15 hours from home. I felt lonely. I was griping because I had a lot of work to do. I was working probably 20, 25 hours a week, and I was carrying probably 15 or 20 uh, credit hours, probably 15 to 17 credit hours that, that semester. I was going to bed at midnight, getting up at 4.30, going to work. You know, and I, and I was just, I was just, I needed to vent. So I'm venting to my dad about how hard it was, a single guy. No wife, no kids, no full-time job. No, none of that. Only had the responsibility for me. And dad fed it back to me probably 35 years later. Do you remember that time you called me? Like, no, I don't remember. And he begins to tell me, well, I was like, man, what was I complaining about? I really had it pretty good. I could hang out with my buds. We had some pizza. Pizza was only $6 for an 18-inch pie from T.D. Alfredo's. A couple of guys throw a couple bucks and we were good. This is Jeremiah's life. He says, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Oh, this is the way a preacher prays, right? 
Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. Now, let me help you to understand in his timeline, he's in the second decade of Josiah's Reformation. Josiah had gotten a hold of the book of Deuteronomy, recognized the judgment of God was pending, and did a, an amazing turnaround. They, they take and they, they clean out from the temple of God all the idols, and they tear down the idols, and they get rid of the priests. And so there's this outward sign that righteous things are happening. But Jeremiah, as a prophet, knows that the righteousness is only skin deep. It's only outward. It's only happening. These are hypocrites. They're, they're walking around saying, oh, God is good. God is good. But inside, they're still living another life. And Jeremiah sees it. And he looks at it. He doesn't like what he sees. And so he's complaining to God. And this is what God says back to him in verse 5. He said, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country... How will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? God is challenging Jeremiah's perspective. Jeremiah brings his complaint to God regarding the injustice he sees in the world when the wicked are prospering and the land is not fruitful. And Jeremiah thinks he sees the whole picture and it's a bleak one. So he's crying out to God and he's saying, God, I see all of these things happening and it's terrible. And God says, get ready, boy. Put on your big boy pants. It's about to get worse. How can it? Jeremiah, how how can it get any worse? And and so when he begins, and and the the next part of the conversation we don't have here, but I'll, I'll just give you the nutshell of it, and then we'll get into the text that we do have. God's about to tell him, Jeremiah, you need to understand something. It's the people that love you, they're gonna turn against you. That you think that things are difficult now? Your, your very countrymen are, are going to hate you. The trouble is going to come from people that are smiling at you. The trouble is going to come toward you from people that hate the truth and you're the speaker of truth. You're the prophet of God. You're the one that's standing up. And as you're standing up, they're going to turn against you. And it's going to get worse. So this is why God says, if you've run with the footman, you're complaining to me right now how bad it is. How are you ever going to compete with horses? And if you fall in the safe country, however are you going to handle it when you're in exile? However are you going to handle it when things get exponentially worse? This is not good Sunday morning fair, church. I'm sorry. (laughs) But if we'll hear the word of the Lord to Jeremiah today, that there's something that God has deposited in this ancient text that we can realize that there are patterns by, about the way that God works in people's lives and that we can pick up, maybe it's a cautionary tale, maybe it's a warning, maybe it's an encouragement for our own souls today to realize that it, if things get worse, it means that God's grace is more, more available to us than we ever thought possible. But we're gonna find ourselves at the end of ourselves first. Notice, uh, he says, Jeremiah, you're looking at men when you're running, but you're not called to just run with men. You're called to run with horses. What? That's impossible. How can a man run with a horse? Because you don't go on your own strength. 
You don't go by your own limitations. You don't go by what you have. You go by what I have. And I'm telling you, I'm going to make it possible that you can run with the horses. So in the word this morning, here's a, here's a couple of things that I want, uh, want you to be aware of. That, that uh, if you're seeking a word from the Lord, he'll give you something to do. He'll give you something to do. How many of you know that the word tells us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word. That, that God, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that, that the prophet had prophetic authority to, uh, to stand on behalf of the Lord as a witness and put tension on what the world says. The world unrestrained. The church is always the salt and the light. And the, and the world always tends toward darkness and tends toward corruption. And the only thing that holds it back is the people of God who stand on the word of God who say, no, this is the way. That's not the way. This is the way. And we embody that. And by embodying that, we pull prophetic authority against the moral decline of our world. Just because you stand up for Jesus. Young people, just because you carry your Bible around everywhere you go. You know what's happening? You're putting prophetic authority against the world. We're saying there's another way. You don't have to go the way everybody else is going. This is how you stand for God. And God will use you in prophetic actions. There's a couple in the church that we hold fast to. I'm going to make mention of them so you understand, Pastor Ken's not, uh, not wacko here. The first prophetic act that you performed as a believer was water baptism. Every time somebody gets water, water baptized, it's a declaration that Jesus is alive and he's Lord and that we follow him. And when we follow him into water baptism, what's it a sign of? It's a sign that the old has gone away and the new has come and we're living under the power of God now. We're living under a supernatural uh, resurrection power of Jesus. The same, uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, same spirit is dwelling in us. That's a prophetic act. When we get together for Holy Communion next week and we, we share together, that is a prophetic act that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us and that the body of Jesus has caused us to be able to stand and, and, uh, and we have strength because of that prophetic act. Jeremiah had a number of prophetic acts. Um, I'm gonna list them for you. They're in your notes. Uh, the branch of an almond tree goes, and that's his object lesson, but there's, there's this declaration of the branch of an al uh, almond tree and there's a word that comes from that. The boiling pot tilting away from the north. The potter's clay. You remember the story where God tells uh, Jeremiah go down to the potter's house and let me show you something. And he goes down to the potter's house and he begins this whole story about the clay and the potter's wheel and, and how God wants to uh, do what God wants to do in people's lives and we're that clay and God can form us however he wants to. Um, there's a ruined linen belt uh, that the prophet goes and he takes his linen belt and he puts it in an enclosed place and it comes out ruined. Uh, the, the broken clay jars, the two baskets of figs, the yoke, the purchase field, this is interesting here. Maybe it's interesting to me because I just bought some land. But, um, but when, when God is about to take the people of God into exile, the land in Jerusalem is less than important for them. You know, they, it, it's, it's, it's like you don't buy that land because it's not gonna be worth anything. But what does Jeremiah do? He reaches in his back pocket and pulls out 17 shekels and goes and buys some land in Jerusalem. He's saying, God's not done with this land yet. God's not, and he's willing to act on the word. And as he acts on the word, it's a witness, right? 
It's a witness so that people understand. And then the large stones and then the scroll sunk in the river. All of these are prophetic actions that Jeremiah is declaring something that's bigger than his life. What does your life declare that's bigger than you? What is the witness, the testimony? Your life is a living epistle. What is God declaring through your life? Because he's declaring something. You're not on your own. You're not an accident. You're not here just to take up space and to put in your nine to five or your eight to four or, you know, some people in this, in this room work half days, 12 hours a day. And I know it. And it's hard. But it's more than you that God is doing something through you. God is declaring something through you. Do you know what it is? Well, I'm going to teach you how to discover it. I'm going to have a conversation with you today that if you will find uh, that, that you're, you, you, take, you go to the limits and then you go beyond the limits. And when you go beyond the limits of what you can do, that's when you're going to, going to discover what God can do. The first one is you live your best life when you pray beyond your abilities. When you pray beyond your abilities, beyond your understanding, when you get to the place that you exhaust your vocabulary in prayer and you don't know what else to pray, and having prayed everything you know, the next word that comes out your mouth is beyond your ability. The next word that's out your mouth moves over into a place of prayer that you and I, if we're ever going to discover what God can do, we got to get the limits to the limits of what we can do. And everything that you want to do will start in prayer. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, you know, we have to pray for the kingdom to come. The, the kingdom doesn't come by our worship as much as I love worship. The kingdom doesn't come by the reading of the word as much as I love the word. The kingdom comes when we pray. Only when we pray. Oh, as much as I love preaching, there's a funny little statement about, uh, about sermons, you know. A sermon is something that you wouldn't cross the street to hear, but you'd go around the world to preach. The kingdom doesn't come when we preach. The kingdom comes when we pray. And so you and I have access to, to the kingdom by how much we pray. Um, Romans 8, 24. Uh, For in this hope we were saved. Now, I'm gonna talk to you today about something I want you to understand. You can't just pray from your mind and you can't just pray from your emotions. You can, you can pray from your mind and, and that will be limited by your own understanding. You can pray from your emotions and that would be right much emotionalism, right? But you gotta pray from your belly. You got to pray from down deep. You got to pray. There's something that happens when we pray according to the Spirit of God. And, and Paul says here in Romans, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, Paul uses hope in a different way than we use hope on average. We tend to say, is the sun going to come up tomorrow? I hope so. I hope it's sunny out tomorrow. I hope the weather's nice for this event. I hope this thing, I hope that thing happens. We just throw it around. But the hope that Paul's talking about is a hope that's established on the character and nature of God so that when God says, I will do this, then you can say, okay, God said it. My hope is that I get to see it come to pass. That's my hope. Because I know the one who said it. So I know that it's going to happen. Man didn't say it. God said it. 
And because God said it, I can hope in what God says, right? In the same way, here's what he says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, do you understand that he's saying you're gonna have to pray in a way that you don't even know what you're saying. You're going to have to pray in a way that is a deep groaning that the Holy Spirit has access to you and he has access to the, to the resources of God. That there's a turning up, a churning up of the inside of our being, connecting with God in prayer so that we can pray according to the will of God in a way that we, ne- we wouldn't normally do. This isn't bowing your head at breakfast and thanking God for your food. This isn't just a casual kind of prayer. And this is a prayer, can I just tell you this? Uh, Notice the connection. He says, for in this hope we were saved. And then at the end of those verses, he said, we know God works all things together for the good. And we love to quote that one. Don't quote it at anybody's funeral, please. Shame on you if you do. Can I tell you something right now? You don't get to Romans 8, 28 unless you go through the groaning. You go from hope, you pass through groaning, and you get Romans 8, 28. But if you don't go through the groaning, don't just claim Romans 8, 28. Because you might not be deeply called according to his purpose. You might be, you might be a spectator just watching it all go by and, and believing that God works according to some kind of fate. When he does not, he's looking for people that will partner up with him and hold fast to the hope that he puts down deeply on the inside of us. And he says, you just can't get there from your mind. You can't just get there from your emotions. You've got to coordinate what you're doing with the spirit of God and he's going to do the praying through you. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you, about three of you in here know what I'm talking about. But the way that you get to Romans 8, 28 is by connecting so deeply with the purposes of God that you say, God, unless it happens, just take me out of here. I don't want to live unless this thing comes to pass because that's how deeply I feel this hope. That's how deeply I feel the will of God. I can't not do it. That's a double negative, but it works. (laughs) Jeremiah said the word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I don't have a choice in the matter. I've got to do the thing that God has called me to do. You live your best life when you pray beyond your abilities. You, you don't stop at what you know. Go into what God knows. Don't stop at what you see. Go beyond that into the unseen. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries. Where does it come from? With his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. You know, we get a lot of this confused. That personal edification that Paul is talking about happens in private. 
It happens if you're praying in a tongue and you're spending time praying, uh, getting to the, the, the limitations of what your own understanding is and you begin to pray in the spirit or praying in tongues that's used interchangeably here. That's a private use of that gift so that you can be built up secretly, privately. The problem is we do things in public we should do in private. And people go, what's that? What's that about? Notice he says prophecies for men. But if I speak in tongues, it's for me, right? And so when I'm in the secret place with God, I build myself up. Church, we can't be the church that's trying to overflow when we're only half full. You get filled up, you get built up all week long. When you come here, that's when some overflow happens. But if you're trying to overflow when you're here and you're only half full, that's the problem. Pray deeply about what God's leading you into. Pray deeply for your family. Pray deeply. Let those groanings rise up on the inside that you've got, you know the will of God for your family so clearly that you want to go deep. You want to go deep. You want to see the will of God accomplished in them. Number two, you live your best life when you love beyond your abilities. Ever wonder why God puts unlovable people around you? There's, a, there's an old uh, preacher's joke, saw it goes like this. To, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that would be glory. To live below with the saints we know, that's another story. Why are there so many difficult people around me? Think about it. Think about it. Somewhere in a psychology class, I learned this, this little formula. If Bob has a problem with Sue, and Bob has a problem with Joe, and Bob has a problem with John, and Bob has a problem with Bill, could be Bob's a problem. <laughs> That'll resonate with you after lunch. You go, what was he saying? puts difficult people around us to love so that we'll love beyond ourselves. If you only love people that are like you, your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees. Your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the pagans. Oh, that's a fine generalization. Your, your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the gays and the lesbians. If you only love the people who are like you, your righteousness doesn't exceed and fill in the blank. Kingdom love goes beyond you and the people that are like you. Kingdom love. God says it this way. I cause my rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God didn't, God didn't dry my, my, my field up because I was unrighteous. He let his rain fall on it. And I was drawn to him by his kindness. Are you tracking this with me? This is a reflection of who your father is. A reflection of how God wants himself to be seen in the world. And if he has some people that will get in agreement with him and love beyond, Jesus said, love your enemies bless those 
who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you and you will be sons of your father in heaven, right? Are you tracking with me this morning? We've got to love beyond our abilities if we're going to pursue our best life. If we're going to just be happy with what we have and the attitudes that we have and the behaviors that we have and the lifestyle that we have, that's all we'll have. Problem is, it gets worse. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. He said, a storm is coming. this This is Pastor Ken's prophetic word based on Matthew chapter seven. There's a storm coming. And if your foundation is on sand, you're gonna be wiped out. And you know who that word is for? Everybody. Why? Because storms come. There's nothing really prophetic about that. Follow the weather. Storms are coming. All you have to do, the only difference is, are are you building on the rock or are you building on the sand? That's the difference. In, uh, in 1 Peter 4, this is what Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, now deeply, I believe, goes further than personality. Deeply goes further than personal preference. Deeply goes further than what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive. Deeply's got to go, frankly, deeply. Right? And the problem is that if we stop it at at personality, if we stop at style, if we stop at age, if we stop at any one of those, really all we're doing is looking for a checkbox that lets us off the hook so that I don't have to do this word. Offer hospitality. He says, he, let, let me back up. I didn't, I didn't finish. Over a multitude, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Pastor Ken, is, that, is Peter saying we should wink at sin, that we shouldn't pay attention at sin? No, we need to love beyond the sin. We need to love the person. Are they a sinner? Yes, but Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? So we've got to love beyond to the, to the level that people are. What, what was it, what is it that's in them that Jesus has greatness for that all they need to do is discover it and they can't discover it because they're bound in sin and they need somebody to love them out of it. They need to love somebody to love them through it that will take this word seriously and say, I'm going to do it. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's where it starts. Who will you let in your home? Who will you bring to the dining room table? You know, for years and years. And this is one of the things that I loved about Holly's family when I first met them is that every holiday, and, and oftentimes not on just holidays, but every holiday, if there was anybody in the area that didn't have a place at the table, they had a place at, at, at the, the Smith's table. And so we always had tons of people, you know. So there's like 20 people around there. And, and we got some cra- some of our some of our funniest, craziest stories come from, the, the interactions of people that were around the table that weren't like us. And, you know, some of them were smelly and some of them had broken stuff and some of them, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I remember one family, uh, there, was, uh, there was there, uh, I, it probably was a boyfriend, girlfriend. I don't even know if they were married at the time. Uh, but he thought he would be good and, and uh, he wanted to contribute something to the meal. So he crossed the road over into the field and grabbed some pieces of field corn and brought them in and said, hey, I, I got these for, for the pot, you know, for dinner. And so uh, Delora knew that he was making, it wasn't sweet corn, this is field corn. This is, you feed it to animals, right? It's not, it's, it's not, it's not really edible. 
And uh, so she boiled that stuff and boiled that stuff and boiled that stuff. And it was the mealiest stuff. And everybody buttered their corn up and they put their salt and pepper on. Let me tell you, it was not edible. It was like, it was like you know, take, take uh, uh, some cornmeal and shake it and just, you know, and that's what, that's what it was like. We laugh about it today. I still remember it. Offer hospitality. Go out of your way for people that can't. This is kingdom stuff. We, we, we say we want the kingdom to come, but this is how it's done. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. What has God graced you to do? What, I'm not talking about what's my skill set. I just sat with some wonderful folks this past week and, and we did the personal life assessment. We did the strengths finder to kind of see how God's wired them up. But there are things that you and I have grace to do that for other people, it would be really difficult for them to do. But we have grace for it. Anybody ever sat next to somebody that was going through something really hard and it just seemed like they were like carried? Like they weren't feeling all the bumps and the bruises and all of that kind of, what was that? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. God's carrying them through. There's grace on their life to do certain things. And so you and I need to realize that that grace of God on our lives is a subpoena to get involved in what he wants us involved with. Don't stand on the sidelines when there's grace flowing. Jump into the river of his grace and allow him to use you. Go beyond yourself in loving people. Go beyond yourself in serving people. There's grace there to do it. Why? Because God is reaching out through you. He's writing your story, his story through your life to touch other people. And in it, to the extent that you extend yourself, that's to the extent that the kingdom is extended through you. Are you tracking with me? God's grace is upon you to accomplish the thing that he wants accomplished. So don't limit yourself. Don't sit back and say, well, somebody else should do that. That's not really my gifting. Sometimes the grace comes in the noticing. How come, no, how come nobody else sees this? Now that doesn't mean you gotta go and do the thing that the person was doing, but it does mean that if you're the noticer that there's something that God wants you to do to be involved in that. Are you tracking with me? Y'all are getting kind of quiet. Number three, and then we'll finish up this morning. You live your best life when you give beyond your abilities. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. That God through compassion will stir you up to do things that are beyond you. He'll stir you up to, to give in ways, to sacrifice in ways that are beyond you. Um, now, talking about motivational gifts, one of my motivational gifts is generosity. I'm just that way. I don't have to be moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying it's better or worse than any other gift, but it's one of those things. Now, Holly and I, when we first started in our marriage, we played hot potato with the books. Honey, you handle them. You're much better. I'm, I, was really, I was really complimentary of my wife in the early days. Honey, you're much better at numbers than me. Please handle those. And of course, what did I do uh, when there wasn't enough money? I kind of blow up at her. What'd you do with all the money? Like she was out spending it at a casino or something, right? 
And so we played hot potato, but one of the things that we always did, anytime there was an offering coming around, we were gonna put something in it. It didn't matter what it was. It was $10, $20. And I found that I could outgive my faith. The word says, use your gift in proportion to your faith. And I could outgive my faith. That's a dangerous thing for preachers to say. But it's the truth. I, I, could, I could give and then worry about my power bill later unsettled my wife a great deal in those early stages. But what we learned to do is get into agreement and we learned to figure out our finances and we learned to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you telling us to give? That's what we're gonna give. Just because I had a want to doesn't mean I, ha I had a had to, right? So we learned to give beyond our abilities. Now, here's an interesting example from, uh, from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Everybody say grace. Out of the most severe trial, look at this formula. This is an interesting formula. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. So they had a trial and then they had joy. Now Paul's talking about an offering here. We'll get to that in a minute. They had a trial, then they had joy, and then they had poverty. Let's just praise God for poverty. Let's just get excited about poverty. But here's this Macedonian church who had a severe trial and they had great joy as the people of God who had, re, who had received the word of the Lord. And, and then they had poverty. And it says in their, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Huh. What is that? The only thing you can call that, you can call that God's math. God has his own kind of math. It ain't the new math. It ain't the old math. It's God's math. It comes from heaven. There, there's something else there that meets the eye, doesn't really add up on, on uh, you know, an abacus or a calculator, however you use, however you count. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So he urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I don't know if you, unless you've been to the nations, you can't really understand what's happening in this text. But I have been in, in situations that were so impoverished that people didn't know if they were gonna eat today. And maybe they had a chicken to feed a family of five for the week and they brought it to the preacher. I, I've sat with, Heather and I did this when Heather was 10 years old. We, we went to an area outside of Kunming, China. It was about three hours outside of China in a, in a, a community, a village where Heather at 10 years old was taller than all the rest of the adults at 10 years old. And she wasn't a tall girl, but there's just a, a, a really a, a small a little people group, small in size. This people group, a village of 200, but on Sunday morning, the church would be 300 because people would come from all around. God was moving there. And when they, I told Heather, I said, you know, we're, we're gonna sit down and they're gonna feed us. And, and Heather, you just need to know anything that hits your bowl, you gotta eat. Because these people don't eat like this every day. This is like Thanksgiving for them because the preachers had come to town. 
And we watched them sit at that little table and they brought little rice bowls and they handed them out to us. It was me and uh, Lance Stoddard and his daughter Hannah and uh, Heather and I. Uh, and so we sat there and, and they brought us things, you know, probably, it was like probably about nine different things that they brought there. And I looked around and I said, these people don't have this to give. But they were so thankful and they wanted to give it. They wanted, the only thing weird was the chicken's feet that day which they just wanted you to gnaw on. They said, oh, it's, it's good for your stomach, so just gnaw on the chicken's feet. Okay. Didn't have to, like, consume it. When you give beyond yourself, it's grace giving. It may feel like a sacrifice at the time, but when you look back, like many of us can do here, we look back, I don't regret a dime that I've ever put in the hands of Jesus. Not a dime. If you're a tither for any length of time in your life, if you added all that up, oh my goodness. But you know what? I don't have the time to do that. That's not the point of it. Why? Because God keeps really good books. He knows what we give. And it ought not to be the purpose of our lives to be worried about filthy lucre. That's a cool little phrase. If you ever feel like cussing, but you don't want to cuss, filthy lucre. It just put it in your mouth. Go ahead, go ahead. Filthy lucre, say it out loud. Filthy lucre. Doesn't it feel like you cussed? Anyway. But it's okay. Biblical word, right? Filthy lucre. He doesn't want us to be worried about filthy lucre. He wants us to be generous and give beyond ourselves. Why? Because when we give beyond ourselves, then we tap into God's resource. There's a grace in giving. There's a grace in giving. And you don't tap in until you get to the end of yourself. And you say, Holy Spirit, tell me what I want. you want to give through me. Tell me what you want to give through me. And God will blow your mind at what he can do. Right? So let's be those people. Let me ask you this morning. Let's, let's stand this morning. We're going to finish up. When was the last time, when was the last time you prayed beyond yourself and what happened? Can you think about it? You didn't feel like praying, but you prayed. You didn't, you, you checked your faith level and you didn't have a whole lot, but you opened your mouth anyway. You were obedient anyway. And Holy Spirit put words in your mouth and they came from somewhere that you knew not of. But God began to work because you prayed beyond your ability. What were you doing? You're pursuing your best life. What about when you love beyond your ability? Oh, I've had those days. Had those days where people just, man, I'm at my people limit. You know what I'm talking about? Preachers are not the only ones that get that. You're at your limit. And then that EGR person walks in. Extra grace required. Oh no, not them. You bump into them in aisle five at Walmart. You go deep. Put on that smile. They say something and Holy Spirit triggers it on the inside. This is why you're here today. It wasn't to purchase something. It was to release my love. It was to release my compassion. 
it was to, it was to just meet them right there God met you God met them the last time you went beyond in prayer and love and giving a couple weeks we'll have an opportunity to give a kingdom builders offering that's going to set us up for 2023 for our missions projects for our local projects things around here it'll be a kingdom builders offering we'll give beyond what we can do but i want to challenge your faith this morning because it's not this god's taken all of us on a journey This is your journey of faith. It's not just mine. It's an adventure that God wants all of us to go on and there are going to be testimonies and stories. See, if you've run with footmen and you got tired out, what are you going to do when you're running with horses? What are you going to do when you're running with horses? What are you going to do when it's over your head? You better know in whom you have believed. You better have practiced stepping out stepping out praying beyond loving beyond giving beyond because that's what prepares you for the next thing that god has for you father in the name of jesus right now we just come before you we give you the praise in jesus name amen amen hey god bless you church we love you don't forget about